all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking at uh, Genesis chapter 17 this morning, continuing on in our series on the life of the Old Testament patriarch Abraham, and today a message we call Walking Before God. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. we move through Abraham's story, we found him struggling through what is perhaps the greatest enemy to walking by faith, and that is the enemy within, our own heart. The Bible warns us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and so here on the one hand we have this uh, great assurance that when we are walking in faith, we are living in victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And yet right inside of us is our own heart. What the Bible considers to be the center, not of the emotions, but of the will. The place where decisions are made. Therefore, the Bible tells us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, you see, are the issues of life. We can walk by faith or... We can insist on doing things our way. And we saw last week in Genesis chapter 16 where Abram and Sarah made that disastrous decision to have a child by Hagar. And we learned that when we determine, when we decide, determine in our minds that we're going to do things our way, you know what God does? He lets us. He lets us. And then he also lets us experience the consequences. Psalm 106 is a great example of that. Verse 12 says, They believed his words, they sang his praise, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. This refers to that time during the wilderness wandering when The children of Israel got tired of eating manna and they prayed to God and cried out, God give us meat. And so he sent them quail and uh, the psalmist says this, uh, he gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness into their soul. That's such an interesting thing. We can learn that very well this morning, put it down in our program. It's always the same. Whatever feeds the flesh is going to starve our soul. If it feeds our sinful fleshly nature, it is going to starve us of our spiritual power, of our spiritual vitality, of our walk with God, and the power and enjoyment of that walk. How long? Thirteen years. Abram was 86 years old when he and Sarah made that decision to have a son by Hagar and did. Thirteen years. Passed between Genesis 16 and Genesis 17. These have been called the years of silence. 
But really, that's not entirely correct because you can say a lot with silence. Amen? Yeah, silence sometimes says a lot. Some people call them the wasted years, but I, I don't buy that either because God never wastes time and He never wastes experiences. He gave them these 13 years for a reason. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. 13 years of raising Ishmael. 13 years. Now he's a teenager. And you have you identify with that this morning? Just boom. God had spoke to Hagar about Ishmael. But he never said a word to Abram about Ishmael. Nothing even in what she, he said to Hagar would give us any indication that in fact Ishmael was going to be rejected. So for 13 years he was able to live and raise that boy, love that boy, his only child, born in his own age. You know he loved him for 13 years. Not 13 days, not 13 months, 13 years. And now God comes back to speak to Abram again. Those long years of silence are over. And God is coming back to reveal more things to him. And we, we see him, first of all, giving some individual instructions. When Abram was 99 years old, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. This is the first time in Scripture that God revealed himself uh, by the famous name of El Shaddai. The Almighty God. It's almost always translated that way when you find uh, God referred to as Almighty in the Old Testament. It's almost always El Shaddai, the Almighty God. He is the all-sufficient God. He's the one who knows what He is doing. He is always right, always correct, always power. He not only knows what to do, but unlike us, He has the power and ability to bring it to pass, to actually do it. And so as the Almighty God, He's the one who says what is going to happen and then has the power to accomplish what is going to happen. That was a great message for Abram. Especially after that time when he and Sarah had conspired together to help God uh, do what He said He was going to do. God didn't need their help. And so now He is going to reveal Himself as the Almighty God. And over and over again in the passage... You see God using those tremendously significant words, I will, I will, I will. Uh, you see, it's about what God does. Uh, now, the scripture before has said of several that they walked with God, but now God is going to tell Abram, you walk before me. Walk before me. He had revealed himself to Hagar as the one who listens, the one who was aware of everything that was going on in their life, who had heard all of those things that were happening. But now he is also reminding Abram that I'm the one who's watching. And so Abram needed to live his life under the awareness that God was always watching. And you know what? You and I need that same awareness. God is always watching. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The Bible says, beholding both the evil and the good. God sees it all. 
The good, the bad, and the ugly. He sees it all. So when he tells him to walk before me and be perfect, that means blameless. It refers to someone who is wholly devoted. Completely with all of his heart. Walking before God. When we're saved, you see, God makes us a new creation in Christ. We receive Christ not just as our Savior, but also as our Lord, which means that He can tell us what to do, and He has every right to because we belong to Him. And when God then has revealed Himself with this new revelation of His character, Abraham did the very natural thing. He fell on his face before the Lord in an act of worship to glorify God. You see, in your life and mine, the unending struggle is that struggle between uh, the walk of faith and the life of faith where we trust God and believe God and we follow after God. Uh, but then there's that me life, the, the flesh life, where we would do what we want as opposed to what we know God wants. And in that ceaseless struggle, it is always that revelation of who God is and then our worship of Him. Our worship of Him. You see, there's something about getting on our knees and on our face before God as the Almighty One that reminds me and reminds you that we can't do this on our own. God wants me to walk before Him and be blameless, be wholly devoted to Him. I can't do that on my own. And it is our worship then of God that reminds us of how great and how powerful He is. How dependent that we are on Him. That posture of worship on your knees with your head down is that place of complete surrender. In any culture uh, throughout all of our history, someone on their knees with their head on the ground has completely surrendered their life to whoever it is that's before them. why our time together on Sundays is important but that's not nearly enough if you find yourself fighting those battles with the flesh and you do then it's an indication that you need more worship in your life not less and it's not just an hour or two on Sunday morning and Sunday night and occasionally on Wednesday night uh, that's going to be sufficient for that although this is critical God does special things when his people are gathered together. I don't have to preach that to you. You know it already. We've already felt his presence and power in this place today. There's just something about being reminded of God's greatness and spending that time in worship that helps us in living the life of faith rather than the life of the flesh. So he gets that personal instruction I'm the almighty God. You walk before me and be perfect. Then God gives him some very specific and personal revelation. Look at what he says in verse 4. As for me, God says, behold, my covenant is with you. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you. As for me first. Then as for you. Then verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife. The three great characters then in this story are all put before us. And the first one, of course, is God himself. Now let's understand one thing right up front. God is under no obligation to do anything for anybody at any time. Uh, God is not a debtor to any man. 
uh, but God does obligate himself and make certain sovereign promises to us. And then when he does, he invariably does so to accomplish his purposes, whatever they might be. And whenever God sovereignly obligates himself, then God also is sovereignly going to accomplish whatever that is. It is completely then dependent upon him. And several things then that God says. God says to Abraham, first of all, I will make you the father of many nations. And he changed his name. From before, he had called him Abram. And Abram simply meant an exalted father. Father, exalted father. If you said father in Hebrew, you said Abram. But he changed his name to Abraham. And that means a father of a multitude. Now today we might say, what's in a name? But the Hebrews would say, everything's in the name. Because that name was not just an indication of of, of their identity, but it was also an indication of their character. It was very much who they are. And so when God changed his name from exalted father to father of many, then he was telling him, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he certainly was. God then says, I will make you fruitful. And as he learned the truth of El Shaddai, of the Almighty God, then he would certainly see that play out in his life. He would be the father of many people, many nations, many kings. God says, then I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants so that he promised to be their God and to make them his people. His promise was, that again, that he would give them that land. Now notice this is called an everlasting Covenant, And that means that this doesn't just refer to the physical descendants of Abraham, but also his spiritual descendants, all those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he made that revelation. So if we talked about what God is, as for me, this is what I'll do. As for you then, what's your part? What, 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 how is this going to relate to you? As for you, he says, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. God prescribed the rite of circumcision then as the symbol or the sign of his covenant. Now, Abraham and his descendants would not look at circumcision as an option, not as a health choice, but it was an obligation. Now, the Bible is very plain to point out to us that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness before the uh, rite of circumcision was ever introduced. Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the, fa- of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. You see, circumcision is a ritual. It is an external or physical symbol of an internal reality. Now, in a sense, circumcision was given to them uh, as a reminder of what had just happened. I mean, it's not insignificant that Abraham and Sarah had started out to try to accomplish God's plan in their own devices. 
And so God implemented the, the ritual of circumcision as a constant reminder of their reliance and their devotion to God to accomplish His purposes. But there was also a spiritual significance. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, Moses said, and be ye stiff-necked no longer. Romans chapter 2 brought that up in verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, uh, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Why is all this important to us? Uh, well, you know, circumcision was a ritual. It was a sign or symbol of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his seed after him. Now, in the New Testament, we have a sign or symbol of our faith as well. It's baptism. Just like the Jews in the Old Testament began to look at circumcision as the means of their salvation. Well, are you saved? Well, yes. I was circumcised the eighth day of my life. I'm a seed of Abraham. I'm a child of God. I'm all right because I have this symbol. In the exact same way, many people have turned baptism in the New Testament uh, to be the means whereby we receive salvation. Are you saved? Yes, of course I'm saved. I was baptized at such and such a time. And they look at baptism just like the Jews look at circumcision. But the fact is that circumcision always was a symbol. That is, it is an outward sign of an internal reality. And what was internal was in their hearts, where they were really right with God, where their heart was open to Him, and they had then a real relationship with Him. In the same way, baptism is presented in the New Testament as a sign or symbol of our faith in Jesus Christ. Is circumcision important for us to continue? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 settles that forever. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. A new creation. You see, it is through the believer's union with Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. That we have the righteousness with Him. And that indeed does have a symbol. And that symbol is baptism. We see it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. We're buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And so we need to remember, signs and symbols are important. They are. They were important in the Old Testament. They're still important today. If you're a believer in Christ, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, you need to. <laughs> That's as simple as I can make it. So we've got what God says to himself, as for me. Then he speaks to Abraham, as for you, and he implements the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And then he says, as for Sarah. The first time that God had specifically spoken of Sarah, his wife, just in case there was any confusion, he said, let's clear this up. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, Sarai means princess. Sarah means noblewoman. They're really, really similar. I'm not sure exactly why it was important. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that he changed the spelling and therefore the meaning of her name to include the fact that she would become the mother of many kings and of many nations. 
So God's promise to Abraham very specifically was going to include Sarah. Now, here's this great revelation of God and his power. Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Here is that great then example. God says, as for me, as for you, as for Sarah. Now, what do you do with all of that? What are you going to do with all that revelation? Well, look in verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Abraham got the giggles. Do you ever get the giggles? Maybe in class, you know, when the teacher was really getting on to everybody and fussing and fussing at you, and all of a sudden something just struck you funny, and you got the giggles. You know, the more you try to keep the giggles in, the more, the more they come out. You know, we try to... You know, we're trying to. Abraham's down there worshiping solemn moment. And he gets the giggles. What struck him so funny? Well, we don't have to guess. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham got to thinking about him and Sarah. 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old having a baby and he just got plum tickled. I'd, I don't know, but if I was a 100 year old man and I found out I was going to have a baby, I don't think I'd be laughing. <laughs> but next week we're going to find out not only did Abraham laugh, but Sarah laughed too. See? very idea such a thing and it is kind of funny when you think about it and Abraham said to God oh that Ishmael might live before you have you ever pled to God to accept the fruit of your own hands decide what we want to do and then set out to do it and when we've made a mess then we want God to fix it for us when We've done something, maybe we're very proud of it. But it was not in accordance with the will of God and we cry then to God to accept it. We set our sails and decide to ask God to fill them with the wind. Ishmael looked like a sure thing. 13 years old, no doubt a fine young man. Abram loved him. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God gives him a simple answer. Verse 19, God said, no. No. Be a good time to remind ourselves this morning that sometimes when we think God didn't answer our prayers, we're wrong. God did answer. He says, no. God is a faithful father. Fathers need to say no. Sometimes. And God does. Very simple. No explanation. No negotiation. No. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No. Sarah, your wife, don't you know that stung? Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. God had already done this. He did this with Hagar in chapter 16. He just repeats it. And will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. A year from now, Sarah's going to bear Ishmael. Uh, when God is reaffirming then his truth, to Abraham, he is affirming that Ishmael, though God has heard and that God has indeed blessed him, that God's covenant was with Isaac. No matter how much we might love Ishmael, no matter how proud we may be of the Ishmaels in our life, the things that we do on our own power and our own strength that may be completely contrary to what God intended. Maybe absolutely of the flesh and not of faith. Though they may look really keen to us. God looks at them and says no. Remember that Paul the Apostle talked to us about this. About how that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that time then we will receive of the deeds that we have done in the body. Whether they be good or bad. Remember he talked about that if any man would have them, these things are certain things that might come. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. They'll be tried by fire. And it tells us what's going to happen to the wood, hay, and stubble. And what's left then? Gold, silver, precious stones. Not affected by the fire at all because they were done in faith. Done in the will of God. But it's possible for a child of God to stand before him someday. And be saved, the Bible says, yet so as by fire. I'm afraid you and I are going to see a lot of precious things that we invested a lot of time and effort in go up in smoke. Because they were not done in faith. 13 years then of living in the midst of his own choices, God comes to Abram with some specific revelations about what the Almighty God wanted him to do. Walk before me and be blameless. The promises that God was making seemed incredible, unbelievable, even to this great man of faith, Abraham, who laughed at the possibilities. Oh, that Ishmael might live for you, but God, this is a, a sure thing. Bird in the hand. We've got this right here. 13 years old. He's ready to assume in a Jewish mindset uh, the responsibilities then of becoming a man. 13 years old. Ready to go. This Sarah thing seems like a pretty iffy deal, God. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No. Abram's waited a long time. He's got one more year. About four months, maybe five at the most, where things were going to be in question. I wonder if he laughed the day that Sarah comes along and says, Hey, Abe, got some news for you. <laughs> I'm pregnant. No doubt about it. 
When we talk about walking before God, you understand that this is not something that we do in order to be saved. Those of you who are here in this service today, I want to make this very plain to you. That salvation, being right with God, is not about our performance. It's about our faith. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross, was buried, rose again on the third day, giving us then the assurance, whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The hymn writer says that it is sweet to trust in Jesus, and it's as sweet today as it's ever been. Would you trust in him today if you haven't? After then you're saved, God's plan for us is to walk before him. Be blameless, wholeheartedly devoted to Him. But sin so often gets in the way. How will we deal with that? The Old Testament prophet Micah was thinking about that in Micah chapter 6, verse 6, when he said, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Ten thousand rivers of oil. If I shed the blood of a thousand rams, God, will that make it up to you? If I spend a fortune of a dozen lifetimes and bring you ten thousand rivers of oil, pour them out. So that the oil would run off the mountain of the temple and fill the Kidron Valley and run like a torrent of rain. Would that make it up to you? If I gave my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, how big of a deal is this going to be, God? I've been saved a long time, but I've messed up. And God, I want to walk before you. I want to be right with you. I, I just don't know how. God, how big of a deal is this going to be? He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly. With your God. When you're walking out this morning, if you look to your right, you'll see those words in our vestibule right here on the wall. I didn't have it done, but I'm glad it was done because that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. What does God require of us? He calls on us then as we deal with our sin to go forward saying, just do right. Love, do right. Do do justly. And while you're doing justly, by the way, love mercy. Don't get so full of yourself that I've got it right, that I'm going to look down my nose and, and, and run down everybody that hadn't got there yet. No, while you're doing right, you love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Because if you're doing right, brothers and sisters, and if I'm doing right, it's because of the almighty God who is working in me. It is because I know that God is watching.
And because God is aware of my circumstances, He is right there with the grace that I stand in need of. The moment that I'm there, our God is an on-time God. Never late. Seldom early. Always right on time with the grace that we need to help us. That is how we walk before God. Let's stand together, please.